turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Just pray for a moment. Gracious Father, again we thank you for your word. We ask for grace to preach it, grace to hear it, and grace to apply it to our own hearts and lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now, some of you have been here on a Sunday night when I've been preaching, and we're slowly going through 2 Corinthians. And the last time we looked at some of chapter 3. And I don't want to go through all that again, obviously, but just to remind you that uh, chapter 3 is a chapter about the law and the dispensation of the law under Moses and the gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the contrast. And one of the things that the apostle does is he doesn't diminish the law. We have to be careful, don't we, when we want to uh, make something look good, we, we make what's called a, um, a scarecrow man, as it were. Uh, we diminish or belittle. And Paul doesn't do that. He never does that. Uh, the law was great. The law was wonderful. The law was glorious. The problem with the law was not the law. The problem with the law is with you and with me because we didn't keep it, couldn't keep it, wouldn't keep it. Elsewhere, we're told the law of God is perfect. And uh, the law is, as I say, great. It's God's law. It must be great. The problem is with us, we need more than the law. We have the capacity of ourselves to fulfill the law and do the law. And so the administration of the law actually led to death. So it led to life. It led to death because we could not and would not keep it all. The gospel, the grace of God is so much glorious. The law was glorious under Moses, but the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is even more glorious and wonderful and so on. So that roughly, briefly, uh, was uh, what we did with chapter 3. Now I want to concentrate just on verse 1 of chapter 4, where the apostle says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. He goes back to chapter 3, right? Therefore, therefore, considering what we've considered and looked at, therefore, this, that, and the other. And there's a reason why he does so. It's the last little phrase, we faint not. We faint not. And Paul is seeking to encourage these Corinthian believers who were in danger, like all of us, at one time or another, of fainting or giving up or being discouraged. If you have a margin, uh, a Bible with a margin, it may say, um, not lose heart. Right? That's the uh, alternative translation for this. That we faint not, that we do not lose heart. Interestingly, um, in the AV, sometimes it's translated in that way, or weary, perhaps. So, when you, you read about the Lord Jesus Christ, he says men ought always to f pray and not to faint. <coughs> the word is there, faint. Similarly, we have in verse 1 here, faint not. Uh, again, in verse 16, uh, we read that... Uh, uh, that 15? Sorry, 16. 16, for which cause we faint not. But then when you come to uh, Galatians, chapter 6, 
The same little Greek word is translated weary, that you don't become weary. Ephesians 3, faint again. 2 Thessalonians, weary. Now, if I said to you, is there anyone who this last week has not felt weary? Somebody we might say, yeah, me. Yeah, I've never been weary. I've been wonderful all week. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Jump up and down. But I suspect that's not been completely true every single day. We get weary. Uh, the word can mean exhausted. And we get exhausted. We get weary. We attempted to faint, to give in, to give up. And let's be honest, there's so much happening out there. There's so much happening out there. There's so much happening in our own little hearts and lives. And sometimes you just, we just feel so weary. We say, Lord, you know me. I'm only human. I'm not supersonic. I get weary. I get tired physically, spiritually. Things I hear, things I see, they weary me. Uh, they concern me. I mentioned this morning about Jeremiah and his weeping of the state of, of the people of Jerusalem uh, as they were going into exile. And the Lord Jesus weeping of the city that would reject him. And surely you can't help but uh, see the United Kingdom, uh, the whole world, but we'll just stay with the United Kingdom for a moment. You could look out and, and you see things that just tire you and weary you and, and sadden you. Life is weary. Now, and that's in the physical realm. We could go on about that in the physical realm. We could talk about the, the spiritual realm. Because uh, there's an enemy who is against us. He's mentioned in verse 4 regarding the unbeliever, in whom the God of this world is blinded the eyes, if ever believe not, and so forth. Previously, he's been, he's been mentioned as, as Satan. Uh, we're not ignorant of his devices in chapter 2. There's an enemy who hates you. And one of his cheap weapons is discouragement. He wants to discourage you. He wants to, to make you feel weary and fed up and, and, and just throw in the towel, as we say. And it's a great temptation. Uh, and Paul realizes that for these Corinthians, all kinds of things going on in this church, and he realizes that, and he wants to say to them, listen, don't lose heart. Don't be weary. Don't be faint. Uh, and then he gives reasons for that. This is the great thing about our Bible. When God seeks to encourage his people, he doesn't say, now come on, chin up, chin up, you know, chin up, be, be brave, be be, put a nice face on, you know, smile and get on with it. You know, that's what you should do. Play the man as it were and so on. Uh, the Bible gives us reasons why we shouldn't give in and be weary and faint and, and be discouraged. There is much to discourage us, much to make us weary. But there's more to make us rejoice. You make us say, yes, I want to go on. Yes, I will carry on. Yes, I will do what I will do by God's grace. Yes, yes, yes. And in this little verse, uh, we have uh, an indication, perhaps two if you like, um, why we shouldn't be over weary and faint and so forth. Therefore, okay, therefore, that's the key word, therefore, since seeing we have this ministry, 
And so you go back then to the chapter 3, and you look and say, well, what is this ministry we have? Now, he's not talking, thinking primarily of preachers and ministers, if you like, with a capital M. This ministry we have is the ministry all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ share. Every single one of us. Whether we sit in the pew or stand in the pulpit. This ministry we share because of our common interest and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of what he says about the gospel and the greatness of, God, of the gospel and the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ and the greatness of the work of the Spirit, it's a real encouragement. It's a real encouragement uh, to see what he says and say, yes, that's true. And it's still true. It's still true. One of the problems with reading history, particularly Christian history, is you read these things and say, wow, wasn't it great then? Back in the day. I come from a land which uh, uh, talks about the past. We're very nostalgic about the past in all kinds of ways. Sadly, even in rugby, um, the great days, uh, they're long gone, all right? and we look at the past, and oh, God blessed us. Look, look at all the churches that were established, and oh, it's wonderful. And we're back there. Ah, but that was then. If you know anything about Welsh churches, chapels, all right, um, dates are significant. Okay, you know, it's, it was always a thing in Wales where you had the church, Bethel, shall we say, or Tabo. Zoa, uh, Zoa, as you would say, all right, Zoa, and they'd have the name on the outside and where it was built, okay, and that date was built. That date was built is significant because it means there was a work of God in that village, in that town, and people people were being converted and brought together, and they said we need a place in which to worship, and so they came together in. 1825, or where it was, and he built this church, and in they went. Now, that's wonderful. But then, another little chapel has got built 1825, and then, listen to this, it says, enlarged 1860. What's significant about that? Well, everything. Because 1860 followed 1859. Interestingly enough. And in 1859, God blessed again in that village, in that town. And so the church was too small to contain all the folk who wanted to come. So they enlarged it. Wow. And another little place then, you've got this building. It was built in, in 1860 and then enlarged 1905 or 1906. What's significant about that? Well, God visited Wales with revival in 1904-05, and the place was too small, and so they enlarged it. Enlarge it so the folk could come in. So you can see the history of God's dealings with the people in the dates and what it says on the, on the outside of the building. Now, I'm sure that can be said of places in Sussex. The sad thing is, now in Wales, not only are they decreasing, but they're closing. Closing. Nobody's there. Nobody's there. One or two little pockets, and it's thrilling to read them. Uh, there's, there's a little place called Abbasachan, right? 
I'll say it again, Abasachan, right? And it's up one of the, the valleys out of Newport, isn't it? And there's a little place called Norva, all right? And there were six members, I think. And a young man and his pastor and his wife and three children went to it to try and see what they could do. And the six became 12, and the 12 became 24. And I think there's now 120 there. It thrills your heart to read about it. And I met him, I met his wife, and it's just a blessing. God is doing something. Now, that is another place. I've just mentioned that because it comes to mind. One of the lovely things about being in Switzerland was that the congregation was mainly younger couples um, and the children. And they're all over the place. <laughs> now, I thought to myself, now, how am I going to cope with this, right? I'm preaching in a foreign language, but not me, but, by, you know, and then these little, little things. Uh, but God overruled, and uh, it was comparatively quiet. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, we wouldn't want that to you. Well, how God have mercy upon us. God have mercy upon us if we don't want the lambs crying. How are you going to have sheep if we don't have lambs? That's how it starts. I'll give you a lesson on country farming later. God is the same. We've got to realize God, the gospel is the same. <clears throat> what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished has not diminished. He has shed his precious blood for all who believe in every generation. The, the, the sad thing at the moment, if, as I understand it, I'm not an expert, but the economy is going down the drain and the pound is worth so much less. I know that because of buying euros and Swiss francs. I don't get so much for my money, right? Because that's a worldwide thing and it's affecting Europe and the, and the, the, the pound and so on. The Lord Jesus Christ has not diminished in the virtue of redemption. In the virtue of his precious blood, in his atonement, it is still the one and only answer to sin. And it's the answer. It's a total answer. It's forgiveness and reconciliation and pardon and, the, and faith and obedience uh, that we might partake of these things and enjoy these things. This is the great gospel. And it's the same. And William Williams preached in Wales, and Daniel Rowlands and the Wesleys and others. It's the same gospel. Still the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believed, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But also the power of the Holy Spirit. We live in strange days, I realize that. And in certain quarters, you have to be careful what you say about the Holy Spirit. And to me, it's a sadness. There was a man called Al Martin, American. He used to come over to England to preach back in the 70s, 80s. And uh, he would be, for you who know, understand these things, reformed. Reformed. And he said this. He said, you know, the trouble is we become so afraid of wildfire, we ended up with no fire. I thought, wow, that's just true. And it sums up a lot of folk. They're afraid. They're afraid to get excited. 
They're afraid to get emotional. They're afraid they'd be, they'd be lumbered in the other camp. We can't have that. And that fear is restricting and, I believe, grieving and quenching the spirit. Now, we have to be controlled. We have to be curbed by what the scripture says. I realize that. But surely, 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 we need to know more of the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in our hearts, in our lives, in our ministry, in our preaching, in our praying. We need to, we need to know what it is to pray in the Spirit. So, in this chapter 3, therefore, because of this glorious gospel, <clears throat> because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because God's purposes are still that men might be saved through the preaching of the Bible, through the preaching of the cross, we shouldn't faint. We shouldn't be weary. We should, yeah, praise the Lord God. God can do this. Whilst I've been away, some of you know I preached at Stanmore, the chapel I was the minister, of which I was the minister. It's their 90th anniversary. I mean, that's good going. That's good going. And they asked me to preach. Okay. And I preached, I think I've probably preached it here. On my grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is... Um, I'm not going to give you the sermon, but I'll tell you the headings. Uh, God's grace is omniscient. God's grace is sovereign. And I said, God's grace is omnipotent. And I, I felt awkward. Not because they didn't believe in that God is omnipotent, but I was saying, in effect, that God's grace to believers is omnipotent grace. And that's scary. That's really scary. Omnipotent grace. That God can work supernaturally in the hearts and lives of his people. That really is scary. And yet I tried to point out that one of the first things that God does is raise us from death to life spiritually. It's a supernatural work of God the Holy Spirit. We, we dare, dare to look for God working sovereignly, supernaturally, in the hearts and lives of men and women and boys and girls. I think we're, we're a long way off that. God have mercy upon us. So, so, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, but also as we have received mercy, God has given to us his mercy. Amazingly so. Because none of us deserve it. It's mercy that we are not dealt with as we should be dealt with, i.e. in judgment. No one can say, well, I deserve better than that. We thought about it a bit this morning, about judgment and being in court, as it were, and being found guilty and so on. Um, none of us deserves mercy. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, you know it well, in chapter 2, um, he talks about our condition. And in an unconverted state, <coughs> we are dead in trespasses and sins. All right? That's what it says. That's the end of it. That's what we are. But he goes on to say in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love with he loved us, and so on. <coughs> Some of you know of the ministry of Dr. Michael Lord Jones, and this was one of his favorite texts, of which he preached um, many times. But God, he emphasized that, but God, but God, in spite of our sin, in spite of our state, but God, who is rich in mercy, 
with great love wherewith he loved us. The mercy of God is great. And that's, if you're a believer tonight, you've received that great mercy. One of the sad things I saw as I came back uh, uh, back, back home was I went through Dunkirk, and normally I'd go along the motorway and cut through straight into the ferry. But for some reason, uh, the lady who was directing me from my sat-nav, she's probably German, so she doesn't, I mean, she directed me through Dunkirk itself and then onto the ship. And all these immigrants that are there, what a sad state. Men, women, kids, little ones, there with bits of bags of stuff or whatever. How sad that was. And that's in Dunkirk. The main part of immigrants is down in Calais. How sad. God has been merciful to you and merciful to me. And we should be so thankful for that. We have received mercy. God is so good to you, to me. We receive mercy. Why are we so despondent? Why are we so cast down? David, Thomas, he talks to himself. Do you talk to yourself? I do, because that's the only way you can get a sensible conversation. <clears throat> and he talks to himself. He says, why are you cast down? What's the matter with you? What's the matter with you? Why are you down? Well, I don't feel very well. What's the matter with you, big baby? Get up. Get on with it. Hope thou in the Lord. God is good. God is sovereign. Rejoice in his mercy. It's great. It's glorious. Sometimes we need to take ourselves in hand, as it were. I say, no, come on, stop being silly. Stop messing about. God is great. Therefore, since we have this ministry and we have received mercy. And the other thing is this. If you have received mercy by God's grace, realizing you don't deserve it, then everybody else in Hailsham who doesn't deserve it, may, in God's goodness, also receive this mercy. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? There's a story told in the Old Testament, um, I'm trying to remember it now, obviously from memory, whereby the city is surrounded by the enemy. All right, The city of, of Jerusalem, uh, whatever, is surrounded by the enemy. And... Uh, it's the days of Elijah, Elisha, and uh, Elisha says, God will deliver us. And one of the captains says, well, if God opened the windows of heaven and poured down bread from it, we're never going to get out of this. There's a famine, there's a siege, we can't get out, and, and it's hopeless. And Elisha says, well, it will happen, but you won't see it. And then, if you remember the story, there are some uh, lepers outside the city and uh, that's where they congregated there was a little communion of them and they said you know we are dying outside the city if we go to the enemy they may give us something they may not they may kill us and we'll die either case we die here we'll die there so let's go and see it just maybe we'll, we'll get something so off they go to the enemy camp. And there's nobody there. There's nobody there. But the food is there. The livestock is there. 
uh, something has happened, and of course God was behind this, and they've all run. They've gone home to mum, and they've run. And all this stuff is left. Wow! And these lepers are picking up this food and picking up that food, and then boom, 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 and having a great time. What a party! And one says, listen, this isn't right. This is not right that we should be enjoying this and the folk back at, at home in the city uh, where they're all captive uh, and they're starving. It's not right that we should enjoy this. We must take some back and tell them that this, this is available. They shared the good news. That's the point. They shared the good news. And if you know the story, they go back and everybody floods out and this fella, this captain who said, you know, he's crushed in the rush and that's the end of him if you've received mercy then don't you want to tell others about it don't you want to share it with others don't you want to say I am what I am by the grace of God why do you have such peace why are you not flapping like everybody else why is there's a calmness about you there's a joy that you seem to have, uh, and even in difficult circumstances, you still you still seem to, well, you know, I can't understand that. If I was in your place, I'd be falling apart. I am falling apart. Well, the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel, and we receive. We have received grace. We need to pray for others, our families, our friends, our neighbours, that they might receive grace and mercy and come to faith. We have received mercy. Because of this ministry and because we receive mercy, we do not faint. We do not weary. It doesn't mean that we'll never be weary again. Whoa, I'm going to listen to that sermon. Yeah, I'm going to put it into practice. What Mr. Aishan said, yes, I'm going to do it. And tomorrow uh, something will go wrong and bang and you'll be flat again. Say, nope, 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 nope. I have received mercy. I will not faint. I will not give in to despondency. I will not be so mel melancholy. I will say, Lord, you know. Just lift me up and get me going. Lift me up and get me going. I did a little fall in Hailsham. Don't worry, it wasn't serious. I crossed from Asda's. I crossed into the car park, and there's a very steep curb. Uh, this is a little warning for you, right, particularly you, you older folk. All right, there's, there's a very steep curb, and I'm, I'm gonna look around, mess, you know, not mind my own business, and I tripped. I crash down, I found all these people come to help this poor old man, you know. Oh, and all uh, I could see come in, the, the mercy gets, oh, 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 and I said, anyway, I said, I'm okay. They lifted me up. I said, that's okay. As long as you get me up, I'll get going. Just lift me up a bit, because I'm struggling to kind of get, get lifted up. Off to go. God is greater than all of us combined. And he's in the business of lifting us up. He's in the business of helping us to get back on our feet. He's in the business of saying, now come on. You know my care for you. You know my love for you. You know that I'm concerned about you. Don't stay down there on the floor groaning. Right? Let me lift you up. 
And then just get on with it. Cross the road and do what you do. I nearly finished. We need to take this first to heart. We need to say, yes, I've got this ministry. As described in chapter 3. Glorious gospel. The work of the Spirit. The accomplishments of the Saviour. That's my possession. Eternally. I've received mercy. There is no reason why I should be so down. I have problems. I have difficulties. And come tomorrow, they'll still be there. But surely we believe that God is greater than our problems, greater than our circumstances. Don't we have to? We have to believe that, don't we? That God is over all. And I must trust Him. I will trust Him. And trust that He will bless. And make me a blessing in days to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this verse of encouragement from the Apostle Paul. He loved these people at Corinth. He'd been used of God to bring them to faith in the Savior. And uh, he knew there were problems there in the church. And he seeks to sort those out. And he knew there were discouragements and uh, failures and all the rest of it. But he really wants them to realize what is theirs in Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, remind us of all these hours. Remind us of what is true of us as children of the King, adopted into the family. Remind us, O oh Lord, that your arm is not short and it cannot save, that you're heavy that it cannot hear, that you said, My grace is sufficient for thee. Most gladly then will we rejoice in our weakness, for when we are weak, then are we strong. Oh, Lord, please, 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 bless your word to our hearts tonight, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Let's sing a hymn, which is 654, reminding us of the everlasting love of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. Six, five, four. I'll just get it in a moment. Loved with everlasting love, led by grace that love to know, spirit breathing from above, thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace, oh, this transport all divine, in a love which cannot cease, I am his, and he is mine. Six, five, four.
them and with them we stand there to know your word in power we pray thee and we will remain around the table oh lord draw near to us for jesus sake